Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Isn't it true that we so often find ourselves thinking, well, we can't advance, we can't move forward, there's not really much that we can do because we don't have great talent or strength or brilliance or resources. But listen, it's not great talent that God is looking for, it's great trust in Him. Anybody can do that, right? Anybody can trust God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 8 through 22, in a message titled, Abraham, the Father of Faith. Now, here's Pastor Brian. There's similarities in all of our lives, and so he obeyed, he willingly put himself in a place that was less comfortable than it might have naturally been. And then the third thing that we see about him in verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. The thing that we see here is that the life of faith includes sacrifice. Now, Isaac was the promised child. He was the one that Abraham had waited for all of those years. And he was the one through whom the promises were going to be fulfilled. But now God says to Abraham, he says, I want you to put Isaac on the altar as a sacrifice. And what we read here about Abraham, and even in Genesis, we read the same thing, is that he did it unhesitatingly. You see, by this time in his life, he had had uh, many, many opportunities to have his faith uh, strengthened. And so now he's at that place in his life where it's time, really, this is kind of like the big test, you know, sort of the final test for him. But just know that God, God's prepared him for this time. And when it comes, he responds wonderfully. He responds perfectly. He does exactly what God told him to do. And he does so even though none of this makes sense. I mean, you, you could imagine that Abraham would say, okay, wait. Now, you told me you're going to give me this son. And I waited 25 years and you finally fulfilled your promises. And, you know, he had all of that back history to look back on. And you told me that through, you know, it would be through Isaac that the promise would come. It would be through his seed. And Isaac doesn't have any seed. Isaac's not married. He has no wife. He has no children. And now you're calling me to take him and to offer him up. Now, none of that makes sense. But Abraham, at this time, his faith is so established, he just says, well, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm sure it makes sense to God. And since God promised that the seed's going to come through Isaac, if he's calling me to offer him up as a sacrifice, I guess God's going to raise him from the dead. That was the conclusion that Abraham had. He had such confidence that God would not fail to keep his word 
that even if Isaac were to die, God would raise him up from the dead miraculously in order to fulfill his word. So, but going back to the point, the point is he, as a man of faith, he sacrificed. And if we're going to live lives of faith, there's going to be the sacrificial element. There are going to be things that God says, I want you to give that up. I want you to put that on the altar. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's a position. Sometimes it's a possession. And there, there are those times when those things, although they're not bad, they could be the thing that prevents us from that real act of faith that's going to result in the glory of God. So there, as we're thinking about living by faith, we have to recognize there are times where by faith we make sacrifices. Now, here, the writer, what he's doing in these passages, one of the things he's doing is he's wanting them to see two things. He's wanting them to see, first of all, that God does things in a totally different way than man does. You know, you've heard the term counterintuitive. God is counterintuitive. You know, we think it's going to be one way. God does it completely the opposite of what we think. You can almost at times, you know, uh, conclude. If men think it ought to go this way, then God probably has a plan for it to go the other way. Because that's how opposite we are so often. And so we're told in verse 12, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So the emphasis is on him who was as good as dead. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. 100 years old. Sarah was 90. Now, you think, okay, God's going to bring about this new humanity. He's going to create a new family of people. I mean, what, what would you do? You'd look for a nice, strong, young couple, right? We're going to start a new nation and look at this ideal couple here. Look at these specimens. This, you know, handsome, young, strong guy and this gorgeous, young beautiful girl and they're going to have the you know best looking kids and we're going to get a whole new thing going that's how we would do it god says okay i'm going to start a new nation let me find the oldest guy i can okay what here's a guy here's a guy okay yeah he's 75 now oh, that's too young we'll wait till he's 100 and then we'll you know and his wife oh, she's too young right now you know she's uh she's 65 we're going to wait till she's 90 See, that's the counterintuitiveness of God. That's the way he does things. He, he doesn't need the things that we think are necessary for his, for his plan and purpose to be accomplished. We often make the mistake of thinking that God needs great talent, great strength, great brilliance, great resources. That's what we think. Because we often think just, you know, we think naturally. It's like the story comes to mind when, um, you know, God was going to replace Saul as the king of Israel, and he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse, and Jesse has these sons that God says to Samuel, he says, from among Jesse's sons, I've chosen myself a king. 
So Samuel's to go and anoint. And as Samuel goes and Jesse gathers his whole family together, all of his sons, the first one who steps forward, he's uh, strong, he's handsome, he's, you know, all of those things. And Samuel looks at him and says, wow, surely the Lord's anointed is right in front of me. This is the guy. And the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, no, that's not the guy. You're wrong. And he said, Samuel, this is the problem. Man looks on the outer appearance. God looks on the heart. And he reminded Samuel, he said, I have not chosen him. He went through all of Jesse's sons and there was no king. And Samuel finally said to Jesse, he said, do you have, do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, yeah, I have one more, but surely he can't be the one. Samuel said, call him. Guess what? He was the one. That was David. In his own father's eyes, he was so insignificant that he wasn't even invited in. But he's the one that God chose. And so we need to learn those lessons. It's not great talent. It's not great strength. It's not great brilliance. It's not great resources. That mistaken notion has probably done more to hinder the work of God than any of us can imagine. Because isn't it true that we so often find ourselves thinking, well, we can't advance, we can't move forward, there's not really much that we can do because we don't have great talent or strength or brilliance or resources. But listen, it's not great talent that God is looking for, it's great trust in him. Anybody can do that, right? Anybody can trust God. So it's not great talent, it's great trust. It's not great strength, it's great surrender. I can't tell you how many times over the years I would be so frustrated because as I've mentioned occasionally, I'd lived with a chronic illness for many, many years that, that caused me to be in a very weakened state. And I would just think, gosh, Lord, I'm just so weak. I wish I was stronger. If I was only stronger, I could do so many more things for you. And, you know, the Lord would just always be faithful to remind me, you know what? My strength is made perfect in weakness, so just don't worry about it. But we think that way, right? But it's not great strength. It's great surrender. I remember years ago, the, uh, you know, there was a group that went around the country, the power team. You know, they would come to your church, and there they were all bulked up, you know, and they would rip a phone book in half, you know, and... They would shout and roar and, you know, we're here with the power of God and all of that. And, you know, I'm not questioning the, their hearts. I mean, I'm sure they were probably, you know, sincere about what they were doing. But nevertheless, you know, it's really not, it's really not what it's about. It's not great strength. It's great surrender. It's not great brilliance. It's great belief. How, how many times have we thought, man, if we could just lead some you know, super intellectual guy to Christ. And then, boy, what an impact, you know, that person would have because you'd be so smart and everybody would know that if you're smart, you believe in Jesus because that smart guy believes in Jesus. And, you know, we think that way a lot of the times. But we just have to remember that, you know, God, those things aren't necessary as far as God is concerned. And, and Many times they can actually be a stumbling block. They can actually be, be part of the problem rather than the solution. It's not great resources. It's great reliance. See, that's what this passage 
reminds us of. And from one man and him as good as dead. God brought salvation to the whole world. That's amazing. But that's the way God works. And so just think, what might the Lord have planned for your life? You see, we read about Abraham, we think, oh, well, that was Abraham. Well, who was Abraham? He was just this guy that lived in southern Iraq 4,000 years ago. We think of great faith, we think, oh, Moses, the man of faith. Who was Moses? You know, whenever we think of people of faith, what we always think of is the result of what happened through their trusting God, and then we somehow mistakenly attribute that to them. We have to remember, no, before God worked, they were just like us. They're just ordinary people. So as we look at our world today, as we look at the the circumstances that we find ourselves in, as we look at the whole international scene and the, the situation that we find before us with the nations, you know, I think it's a strategic time in history, just like it was back when God chose Abraham. It's another strategic time in history where God is looking for people who will trust him that he can do work through. And we would sometimes look at ourselves and say, well, you know, it couldn't be me because after all, I'm not really that kind of person. I'm not the smartest person around or I'm not the most gifted. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the person who has all all of the resources or whatever. But those are not the things that matter. What God is interested in is faith, trust in him. And so just like God worked through Abraham because he believed God will work through us today as we trust in him. And there's one final thing that I want to take us to as we wrap things up. Notice what it says in verse 13. It says, these all died in faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What the writer is doing here is he's, he's showing them that these people with less understanding, with less, really with a lesser covenant if these people with a lesser covenant did these things how is it that you with the greater covenant are faltering and wavering and not progressing that's what he's saying to them they died in faith they didn't receive the promises like you did but look what they did and so he's really provoking them by by kind of a comparison look you guys have received everything You've received all the promises. They didn't receive the promises, but look what they did. So you having received them, you ought to be in a different place than you're at. You ought to be excelling beyond where they were in their faith. That's the point that he's making there in comparing. But notice what he says. He says, they all died in faith, not having received the promises. But listen, he says, they saw them afar off, They were assured of them, and they embraced them. They saw them afar off. 
They were assured of them. They embraced them. And that's how we do it, just like they did. God makes a promise to Abraham. He doesn't see it right in front of him, but, but he sees it through the eyes of faith. He believes God. You know, think about Abraham. He never really inherited the full fulfillment of the promises God gave to him. God said, through you, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Abraham was long gone before anything ever went in that direction. He saw Isaac, he saw Jacob, and that was the end of it. But just as God had promised, the nation of Israel was born, and eventually Christ came, and the gospel went out, and here we are today. We're blessed today because of Abraham. All the nations of the earth were blessed through him. But he didn't see any of that fulfilled. You know, as I shared this earlier, one of our friends who is on staff with us here, she said to me, she said, you know, and she's getting older. She said, you know, that really encouraged me. I prayed for my children. I prayed for my grandchildren. And, you know, there's still many of them that aren't walking with the Lord. And I might be gone before I ever see them come to the Lord. But I know that they will by faith. And I thought, that's right. That's how to apply this in those kinds of things. So they saw them afar off. They were convinced of them. They were assured of them. And they embraced them. And you see, that's what we do. God calls us to things. We can't see them, but we believe them and we embrace them. And we say, okay, Lord, let it be so. And then we trust God to bring us through whatever he takes us through to get to that place. And they confessed in the end that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And let me say this as we close. This is a concept of the church that we have to, we have to regain this concept because this is a biblical picture. The biblical picture of the church of Jesus Christ is that it is, it's mobile, the church of Jesus, it, it was always designed to be something that was moving, something that was never settling into this world, but always moving through the world with the eyes on the future, with the eyes on eternity. But you know, the church has, has been tempted historically to try to settle down into the earth, to try to settle down and become an earthly kingdom. But that's never been the plan. The plan has always been that we would be strangers and pilgrims. The church is nomadic. You know what nomadic people are? They're people who live in tents, not cities. And guess what you can do with a tent? You can pack it up and you can move it to a new location. And these guys lived in tents, not because they didn't have any choice. We're told right here in the text that they could have, had they wanted to, they could have gone back to the cities they came from, but they didn't. Why? Because they were looking for another city whose builder and maker is God. And the application for us today is this. We live in this world for sure, but this is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we're to be nomadic as well. We are to be ready to pull up stakes at any time and just say, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? That's the way Christians are to live their lives. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't settle anywhere. 
It just means that we don't, figuratively speaking, build a city there. We don't, we don't settle down to the point that we're anchored there and we can't budge from that place. This is it. You know, whether that's your place you live at, your location where you live, or whether it's the profession you're in, the job you're, you've chosen, the what, whatever, the kids you have, the family you have that you say, you know, no, I live here. I work here. This is my family. We're all huddled together here. No, that's not the way it works in the kingdom. We can have all of those things, but we have to hold them loosely because the Lord is going to say at certain points, hey, pull up the tent stakes. We're going over here. And that's how the kingdom advances. That's how the gospel is spread through men and women of faith who live as pilgrims and sojourners here on the earth. So we have that mentality. And even if God calls us to stay in a certain location, like obviously many of us are called here. I think I'm called here now to stay in this location. But at the same time, you know, in our hearts, we're always open and ready. But we're always thinking in terms, too, of, you know, we're nomadic. We're moving on. As, as many of you know, we've had a number of guys, you know, Pete, Nanji, Ken, you know, some of the other guys you know, we're all good friends. We've all ministered together for years. We, it's all great. And, you know, for us, it's like, hey, let's all huddle here and just have a great time at Costa Mesa. But you know what? The Lord's saying, no, here, I'm taking this one over here. No, they're going over there. And, you know, you find that that's the case. And you find that not just with your good friends, but you find that with your children. For years and years, I used to send young men and women off to the mission field. I never once thought about how their parents felt about it. I was just so excited. Man, these guys are going to the mission field. There's a church plant that's going to happen. People are going to get saved. People are going to get discipled. And here's this young guy or this young girl or here's this young couple and their kids. And yeah, we're sending them to the mission field. And of course, their parents were just like, who is this Pastor Brian? I want to kill him, you know? <laughs> what do you mean he wants to send you here or there? Or, you know, who said he could do that? And I never thought about it. But then, you know, one day the Lord said, hey, guess what? It's your turn. I'm going to take your kids, and I'm going to put them all over the planet here. And you're going to realize by your own experience that this is part of the cost of the life of faith. But it's good in the end. I wouldn't have it any other way to see God working in the lives of those that we love and working through their lives. And that's what God wants to do for all of us. So remember that. Our citizenship is not here on earth. It's in heaven. So whether, you know, if God calls you to plant yourself here, this is your place of residence, fine. But remember, your heart needs to always be free. And God might not say to you, I want you to pick up and I want you to move. He, but like I said, he might say, I want you to let your kids go and not hold on to them. He might say, I want you to let your money go because I want you to help support these guys as they go out there because this is all about that. It's all about faith and it's all about getting the gospel out. It's not about building a permanent uh, city for ourselves here because we have a city that is coming whose builder and maker is God. And that's where we want our focus. And that's where Abraham's focus was. And so by faith, he 
dwelt in the land of promise, just trusting God, knowing that there was a heavenly country that he would ultimately inherit. For the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Isolation, distance, and conflict during these trying times have caused countless people to feel lonely and depressed. But for the Christian, the friendship of Jesus reaches even our deepest loneliness, and we can allow darkness and despair to drive us directly to Him. And when we come to Him, Jesus is able to match our every need with His mercies because He moves towards us with compassion. If you or someone you know needs to know the heart of God, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.